This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. The themes and topics about to be discussed include serious mental illness and may be very triggering for some people. If you think you could be affected, please make sure you press pause and think carefully before listening to this podcast. If you decide to proceed, please make sure you have support and a health professional you can speak with later if needed. Hi everyone and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. This podcast is on death, grief and starting again with author Diana Morgan AM. Today, it's my privilege and pleasure to welcome Diana Morgan, AM, one of our most respected and highly contributing senior stateswomen living in Melbourne, Australia. Diana is an author of several books with a long interest and service to the arts in Australia and internationally, and now she provides us with an essential guide entitled Death, Grief and Starting Again, Preparing for and Dealing with the Aftermath of Death. Welcome, Diana. Very delightful to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Diana, I'm so sorry to read of your severe losses, having suffered the loss of your loving husband years ago to cancer, and then 10 years later, the unexpected deaths of two of your four children in separate, unrelated situations. Now, as a psychologist, I have a duty of care, so I need to check that you have someone, hopefully a professional or someone close to you, that you might debrief if if needed after this podcast. Yes, I do have somebody that I can debrief with. Wonderful. Thank you for caring. Of course. So you set out to write this book at a time when you needed it the most that would have helped you enormously, as you say in the book, and as in the forward, Dr. Peter Hollingworth says, there's really no other book as valuable that covers all the comprehensive range of issues to dealing with a pending death, a a dying partner, and then the sudden loss of children, of adult children or death itself and all the practicalities confronting as they are uh, in one book. Look, what was extraordinary was I just felt so lonely and I began writing it for people like me. But I found that when I researched it, it was the professionals who felt it was needed Mm. because they said that all the people who came to them just started at the at the bottom at bottom they had no knowledge about the scope of things that it was helpful to be informed about and it was the lawyers who said that they um had to begin at the beginning with everybody it was the doctors who said the extraordinary complexity of the medical world yes. at least if people are aware of the the breadth of choices they can begin to make them And it was the funeral directors who said that people really had so little idea of some of the extraordinary services that they provide. And finally, I think the people who really, um, that we perhaps overlook, it is the priests who, the vicars, who have the greatest experience interfacing with the bereaved. Yes. Because usually when somebody dies, that's the last time you see their doctor. Mm. But I found that it was my local vicar who had come across so many people who were bereaved who could just give you the help you needed to feel that you are not 
the only person who had trod this sad, sad path. Oh, so importantly that you provide that companionship in the book as well. It's an instant uh, connection that people can have to someone who experiences and understands this so deeply as you do. Well, look, what I did find is that when I was young, I thought that death was just death, clunk. As you get older, you realise that so many deaths, no death is ever the same. No. But And they have different lead-ups to them. Some are expected, some are not, some are a shock. Mm. But then they also cast long shadows. Sometimes there's a relief that somebody has been put out of pain. Yes. Sometimes it's guilt for people. Sometimes it's the small grandchildren mm. who miss their daddy. I mean, it's the the range of complexity on a simple event that cannot be be changed. Yes. The the roll on problems that you need to think about really are quite enormous. They are enormous and so profound and unexpected, as you say, that one can't know how we'd feel at moment to moment and the enormous anger at times that you write about in your book about your daughter's death in particular. And that's natural. As we know, it's a roller coaster of emotions. Well, my husband was sick for a long time and I did everything that I could to make it easier for him. Yeah. And I often envied people when I heard that somebody had died very quickly with a heart attack or a stroke. But when he died, I realized that he had given me the greatest treasure. He'd given me a peaceful heart that I knew that I had done everything that I could in my power to help him. And I was glad he didn't suffer anymore. But when my children died, both unexpectedly, that leaves you with a shock yes, and a grief, mm. but such a cauldron of feelings. And I just do feel so sorry for people when it happens to them. It's very hard to live through. Oh, it must be. It must be one of, if not the hardest thing, to lose a child and to outlive a child. Yes, but these things do happen. And all I can say, if anybody can learn from me, that it is difficult, but that you do live through it, even well, if you're still sad. Um, it is a less. It is the only help I can give people. It's enormous help you're giving people, Diana, with this book. And you mentioned to that point of surviving the OK Club, the Survivors Club, that it's surviving after this incredible um, anguish, agony, pain, loss that you are still doing. Well. Originally, that was going to be the title of the book. Mm. And then they said, it, you have to give it a title that will Google. So that is why the book has a rather grim title now. <laughs> but even that, look, you have to laugh at. If that helps people find yeah. it, well, then that's good. Absolutely. It's about selling the book, getting the book into the hands of people who need it. That's so important now that you've done all this great work for us in writing it and collating all the resources, the practical resources that people need right from burials to uh, living in aged care to planning the, the death. The fact that stunningly and shockingly, so few of us actually prepare 
in fact, 75% of us, according to some statistics, do not have an end-of-life discussion with their partner. Look, the statistics given on the internet all vary. Mm. But one thing that seems consistent is we're living longer. Well, people used to die in their 60s, perhaps 70s. We now live on till our 80s and 90s. And at the age of about 83, 3% of us have the beginning symptoms of Alzheimer's. And one of the most important thing is that instead of dying early of of a medical problem, we're now saved. We're given extra life, which is the biggest present anyone can give us. Yes, but yes. we have to make certain that we can, that we prepare ourselves for our sakes, but also for our family's sake. Yes. That because once you are diagnosed with any form of Alzheimer's, you cannot, it's very difficult to make a will because you have to have endless medical people to to uh, ascertain that to, or to attest that you can, that you're in your right mind. Yes, and quite often, and it and it can it's more more likely to be challenged as well. Yes, so it's extremely important to have your affairs in order, and it is remarkable how many people you meet who laugh and say, "Ha ha ha! Oh well, I haven't done a will my will yet. I've mm. always meant to do it," and that it causes such complexity and problems for those who are left behind. Oh, enormous problems. And you're right, so few people seem to know about the term capacity, that we have to be assessed to have capacity, ability, that is, to be able to appoint a power of attorney or an enduring guardian, to have a will and so forth. It's a strange thing in the Western world that people avoid talking about death. Look, look, they always have. I mean, if you think about it, it's hardly mentioned in Jane Austen. Yes. Um, Little Women, it was talked about. Um, Dickens used it only as a plot turner, not a drama. Mm. We now turn on the television and everybody kills each other in the most wonderfully elaborate yes. ways. But but we don't talk about it in reality. No. I, I think we're scared. Yeah. We can't control it. We think we can control everything, but not that. The other thing is, look, a great number of people have one or other of their children living abroad. Yes. So that you have to be very thoughtful about your affairs, how how they will be managed, which in years past, your family would sort of be mostly very, very local. Yeah. But look, getting on to the point of why people don't talk about it, it's the most hard thing to imagine why, because... It's almost, I think, that if you talk about it, um, it's bringing the event on. It's like a sort of magic that you don't touch. Yes. A sort of bad spirit or something. Um, But anybody who's really gone through a distressing death of somebody that they loved finds it the most extraordinarily enveloping event. Yes, and sometimes they can't stop talking about it. Mm, it is an extraordinary event. And as you say, often people are comforted to hear from a doctor how to plan for their death or what's going to be involved or what to expect rather than not facing the truth. It's actually helpful to face it quite often. Look, some people find that other others remain in a state of denial. 
And I think the only thing that you can wish for people is that they find the path that that suits them. Yes. I found it very hard when my husband didn't want it. He wanted to live. Yes. And I found it very hard. We hardly ever had a discussion that it was the end of life. Now, if I may tell you a story, um, Peter Hollingworth was a very great friend of ours for 50 Mm. years. And the night that my husband came back from hospital, he came to say some prayers over my husband. We'd had a dinner, very jolly family dinner, and we'd laughed and been cheerful. He came and he said the prayers for the dying. Mm. I've never been so shocked. But what also shocked me afterwards was that my children felt it was the greatest release Yes. Because we had to face it. Yes. We had to accept what was happening, that there was no escape from it. Mm. And the churches had 2,000 years to get those prayers right. Yes. And that evening, my husband died. He was not. He was expected to live another three weeks. Mm. And what is so extraordinary is that my children feel that the terrible words of the, of, for, the, for the dying gave him an acceptance that it was right to die. Mm. He would have had three terrible weeks ahead of him. Yes. And we were all just so grateful. And then we felt guilty for being grateful. Well, as you say, you had pre-grieved. Uh, I think there's another term you use in the book, but you'd you'd had three A- years. Anticipatory grief. Anticipatory grief. And you'd had those three years of all that work to prepare for his final passing. Well, look, I hope that the maelstrom of feelings that I have described gives comfort to other people because very few deaths are simple. Yes. And um, you're left, sometimes people are left with a great feeling of guilt, particularly if they haven't managed very well during that period. Mm, exactly. Whereas you say in the book that you were uh, you were blessed in many ways because you had such a wonderful love story with your Nigel, your husband, to remember and all the memories of the love story. And I loved reading that you met in the swinging 60s when Nigel left Australia for a trip to London and then he swept you back off to Australia after your wedding. I don't think I knew what I was doing, but I never regretted <laughs> it for one minute. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Wonderful. And he, But he was such a courteous man. Mm. And when he died, I felt I was so lucky to have been married to somebody I missed. Yes. Rather than somebody I was thankful was gone. I was very glad that he was out of his suffering. Yes. Yes. And you could not have wished him to live longer. No, no, it was the natural next step for him. It was. Yes. And so your unimaginable loss of your adult children in quick succession um, within eight months of each other. And again, you say that there's a great comfort that you feel that they're together again. Well, look, one of them was 49. One of them was 41. My daughter had given a kidney to my son, which had given him another 10 years, Mm. so that I had had 90 years of the absolute glory that children give you, the ups, the downs, the fun, the fury, everything. Mm. Um, They were both very glad and successful, but as a mother, neither of them knew that they were going to die. My daughter had, had an emergency operation booked but they got COVID in the hospital and it had to be cancelled. 
And my son was on very, very blood blood thinners. Mm. He'd been fainting all day. And he fainted back onto the kitchen marble thing and bled to death. Oh. And he said that he, he, a great doctor friend of his said that he would have known that he was losing consciousness. Yes. But he was losing blood to such a degree that he probably would not have understood he was actually dying. Yes. And if as a mother that gives you comfort, mm. in both those my daughter had seen the ambulance arrive and mm. she dropped down dead. Yes. Now, you have to get comfort where you can find it. Oh, yes. And you may find it very strange, but I find it very comforting that both of my children, I think, did not know that they were actually dying. They both would have been appalled. Mm. Absolutely. And, yes, take the comfort where you find it. Look, Good you have to. Yes. And it sounds a little strange, but that is the only thing that is left for you to do. Oh, it's about survival, as you say, and moving on. And you have your other two children and grandchildren who need you. So you need and you are doing the work of surviving. Well, when you face the unbearable, it's quite strange to understand that you have to bear it. Mm, it is. And what helps you to bear this unbearable, Diana? Look, I'll tell you, very strange, I have to be busy to yes. be occupied, my two children still come back to visit me. It is quite extraordinary. I feel their presence. Mm. I hear them. Yeah. And it was my vicar when I said, I think I'm going mad. <laughs> he said, it is quite unbelievable. He said, it was, it was unbelievable how many people told him that same thing. Yes. And the reason that I've put that in is that if it helps anybody else that they're not mad, that a lot of people do feel the presence of a, of a loved one when they're gone. And I suppose I should find it comforting. I find it very strange. Yes. But if it helps anyone else to know that you can feel strange. But I think in my case, um, a lot of people sit down and collapse in a heap. Yes, I yes. knew that if I did that, my other children would think that they had yet one more problem to deal with. Mm. And the only thing I can do for them is to make them feel that I'm coping. And that gives me comfort and strength. Yes. Well, I guess it's it's a meaning, it's a mission for your life moving forward that you have that focus for your remaining children and that work to do as well. Look, you have to find your own path. Mm. And my little grandchildren who's they, who adored their father are finding it very hard I bet. to live without him. And um, again, that's something that you feel you have to be there as a link. Oh, yes, you're remarkably important to those children and your children. And to your point about the connection beyond death, I've experienced it myself profoundly and I have so many patients over 30 years with stories of similar findings or experiences that are just unexplainable other than there's some kind of connection beyond death. Look, I'm so glad you say that because death is a event that you cannot change. Mm. But the emotional storm of it 
does cloud our skies for a long while after. Yes. I think the day I die, I'm going to remember the shock of just unexpectedly seeing my son. I'd seen him the evening before. Mm. Don't worry, mother. I'm seeing the doctor at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. He died in the night. I mean, all of us have shocks that we find yeah. <laughs> shocking. Yes. But but I hope it's a comfort to know for other people that you do find it shocking. Mm. You're meant to find it shocking because that's part of life and the the richness of all of our experiences in life, you, you certainly are experiencing some of the depths uh, much more so than most people. Well, yes, you hope it never. It's it's unnatural in our time. Well, as you said off air, you're the second generation of women who expect not to lose a child. Since the beginning of the world. Mm. So that I'm just part of a continuum. Yes, you have this wonderful um, perspective on life and the world and you're very much in the world. Do you find that, as well as obviously you have a faith, uh, helps you in your busyness and your faith as well? Look, I found my my husband was a, was a strong Anglican. I have found it an unexpected help to know that there is an institution that for 2,000 years, has, it's been part of their remit mm. to help people. Um, all your friends try and cheer you up. Yes. And it is perhaps the church that understands how difficult that actually is to yeah. achieve. Yes. You know, but I, I will be very pleased if, if this book helps people because it is the loneliness of going through times which you can't always explain to a friend or you don't want to talk about it particularly, on and on and on. You can become quite a bore. Um, and so that if people understand that other people have found situations that are difficult to manage, look, that'll be a good thing. That's right. Your book is an essential guide. It's full of all the information any person will need with their ageing, with their dying of themselves and of any others, of all the resources. It's a one-stop shop, your book. You know, in the, in the wee hours of the morning when there's no one to talk to, to be able to pick up your book and just skim through the, the lovely, emotional, deeply personal, funny and sad story of yours that weaves through it is it's going to be so comforting to people. And, and I have put in also a lot of other stories because I think that helps. But I've been absolutely amazed how many people have told me that they've gone and bought five books, seven books, three mm. books, and given it away because everybody seems to find that they are better for have for thinking about these problems. Yes. Than not. That's right. And because our society doesn't seem to want to talk about death, the privacy of being able to think about it through your book is where it's most accessible to people. Thank you. Well, it is it is available as an as an audio book, as an ebook, or and also on Amazon. And um, I really feel 
that, that there's not another book quite as I have written it. No, there isn't. It's that's why I'm saying it's essential. Thank you. Oh, mm-hmm. and people can find it on Amazon as an ebook and as, as a talking book. And the title again, Diana Morgan's book, Death, Grief, and Starting Again: Preparing for and Dealing with the Aftermath of Death, published in 2000 and 22 by Chevrolet Australia Publishing. Diana, I usually ask my guests what makes you, as I say, psyched for life. Is that a question you can even answer? Do you know, I think it is. I had a father who had a very tough life, as everybody did in Europe, in the war, and he never, ever complained. Mm. I think it's what killed my son that he didn't complain that evening when he was feeling so ill. Yes. Um, But I think when I think of what my father went through and he never complained, it makes you think very hard before you whinge. So stoicism is a big part as well as gratitude I, I read in your book. Look, you have to peg your life on some pegs. Mm. those are the ones that have done it for me. I think a a lot of people younger than me have never seen lives go through such turmoil. A lot of my Jewish friends have seen their older generations go through unimaginable tragedies. Yes. And they seem to be buoyant. They seem to have developed a strength from it. And I think sometimes that hardship defeats people other times it gives them a power Mm. and a strength and a determination that life is good yes if you can make it so yes and I think in the face of such tragedies such as the holocaust and and your tragedies it's almost like we have to rail against injustices in life that seem unjust to us uh as part of life I think people have had to do that since the dawn of time. Yes. We're not alone. We're not alone. Diana, are there any other causes or uh, products and things you'd like to promote on the podcast? I think life. Life. Yes. Let's promote life. Well, it's the only thing one has left really at the end of it. Yes, absolutely. What a glorious way to finish what's been a very deeply touching and helpful podcast. Thank you so much, Diana Morgan. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 333 497 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me. 